So good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good to be with you. We are continuing our series through the Lord's Prayer, and we're talking about prayer. Um, last night, I was able to get on a call to pray with uh, a group of folks from our church, and it was so good for my soul. Um, I, I pray that you would be taken advantage of some of the things that are being offered as we do this 40-day prayer challenge. Um, as much as you can, try and come on those corporate calls, even if it's just for an hour to be with our church family in prayer. It's, it's so edifying. It's so encouraging. I also hope that you're taking advantage of time slots in the 40 days to be able to set aside intentional time to be in prayer. And also, as our brother Cece challenged us, I hope that some of us are able to commit to fasting some things, sacrificing some things in this season of Lent as we draw closer to Jesus. Um, one of the things we talk a lot about in our church, if you've been around, is the importance of what we call unlearning things, right? We believe that spiritual formation is not just a result of learning new things, but unlearning old things, old beliefs, old behavior, old patterns, old way of doing things. Um, so when I was growing up in my church background, and I grew up in the 80s, so that dates me a little bit, one of the things that our youth group loved to sing was this song. It just came to me this morning. It was a song called Jesus on the Main Line. Does anybody know this? Jesus on the Main Line. Tell him what you want. Jesus on the Main Line. Tell him what you want. Some of y'all church kids, you know what I'm talking about. The whole point of the song was this aspect in what Jesus is waiting for our call for us to call him up which taught me and discipled me unintentionally that prayer was primarily about my, me giving Jesus my request, calling him to tell him what I want. And what we've been unlearning is that prayer is not about requests. It's about what? A relationship. Prayer is a way of deepening our communion, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is not some magic formula to get things from God, but it's communing with God and being with God in prayer and that is the ultimate prize that we get him and not things from him so this morning though as i thought about other things about prayer that we need to unlearn i realized another thing that we need to unlearn is this prayer isn't talking first prayer is listening first Prayer isn't talking first, it's listening first. I love Eugene Peterson's book on Psalms. The title of it is Answering God. When it comes to prayer, it's important to know, check this out, who should start the conversation first. You ever think about this? See, prayer is simply leaving God a voicemail, hello, in the hopes that I could help God sort of run the universe, then yes, I should start the conversation. But if prayer is about centering on God, if prayer is about aligning my heart, my soul, my mind, and my will to God, we should let Him start the conversation first. I mean, there's a silly illustration, but it's akin to, if I had an hour with the President of the United States, it'd be silly for me to go, Mr. President, let me tell you what's on my mind. And then now when I'm done, go, glad I got that off my chest. See you later. <laughs> I think most of us would agree, if we had that hour, first thing we would do is say, 
What are you thinking about? Who are you? Tell me your story. Our prayer lives will be radically transformed if we took time to listen as much as we talked. Somebody. And God will actually speak to you if you actually take time to come to a place where you and I could be still enough to listen, quiet enough to listen, God will speak to you. God is the greatest communicator in the, communicator in the world. He created communication. Of all the things that the Apostle John could have used to describe Jesus, John 1.1, 1, 1, he says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He uses a descriptive word that describes God's longing to what? Communicate. Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know me and they hear my, what, voice. Primary way, now this is important, then the way in which God speaks to us is through his, what, his word. There are other ways that God speaks, but there's a direct correlation between our ability to hear God and our familiarity with his word. Listen, I get real nervous when someone who doesn't know the word starts talking about God said this to me and God told me that and God, no, 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 no. I am realizing more and more that those who know the word most hear God best. Those who know his word most, hear God best. So how does this relate to prayer? You know, I'm not known to give practical application in my sermons a lot. So here's a real practical one, okay? This is, this is, this is gold. Like, so what I try and do when I talk about prayer as listening is this. I've incorporated scripture. Scripture is a vital part of my prayer life. Here's what I do. After I read a portion, I have a daily reading plan that I follow. After I read a portion of scripture, I take some time just to listen. It may be five, seven minutes, 15 minutes, depending on where you're at. But remember, the whole point of the Lord's Prayer is what? It's listening. Before you ask for anything, petitions four, five, and six, first thing we're doing is what? We're noticing God. We're adoring God. We're listening to God. We're hearing God. And then we respond. Prayer is answering God. So here's what I do. I read a portion of Scripture, then I set aside time intentionally to listen. As I listen, there are two questions that I ask. First question is this. God, Father, what are you telling me about you in your word? What are you telling me about you? And I listen. And oftentimes, what he tells me is what leads to adoration, who he is, and thanksgiving, what he's done. And the second question that I ask after reading scripture is this, Father, what are you telling me about me in your word? It's the prayer of the psalmist, search me and know me, right? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And it's during that time that God begins to reveal some things that I need to confess. So the confession comes. What are you telling me about me? Right? And I listen. Then I get to my petitions, which our Father wants to hear. Then when I get to petitions, I tell him about the things that are on my heart. See how that works? Scripture and prayer. Father, what are you telling me about you Listen, adoration, thanksgiving. What are you telling me about me? Confession and then petition. I want, I want to challenge and encourage you to do this literally for like 15 minutes a day for 40 days straight and see what happens. God might do a significant 
powerful work in you. Okay? We are going through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, this is the prayer that Jesus taught. And what we've been doing is, if you've been following our sermon, we've just been going through the Lord's Prayer, taking it petition by petition. And so, as we've always done every week, I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer Pray the Lord's Prayer. By the way, there's nothing wrong with literally praying the Lord's Prayer word for word as a form of prayer. Because now you know what these mean, right? It's not just rote recitation, but it's praying these things and thinking about what they mean. Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one as we've been journeying through the lord's prayer last week we came to the third petition which was your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been saying that the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us is the key to unlock kingdom living, right? Kingdom living. Everything that you and I need to experience, life abundant that Jesus talked about, is found right here. And in the third petition, we see one of these keys to kingdom living we see the upside down nature of the kingdom your will be done before give me what is it saying in the kingdom here's the way to life you have to lose yourself to find yourself why your will be done before give me? You have to lose yourself to find yourself. Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. The people who get blessed are not those who try to be blessed, but they try to be what? First and foremost, righteous. The way to find yourself, the way to find your happiness is not to seek yourself or your happiness, but to seek God and his righteousness. You see how that works? There's intention behind the Lord's Prayer. If you seek blessedness, Give me before righteousness, your will done, you'll have neither. But if you seek righteousness, your will, before blessedness, give me, God says you have both. Okay? So pray will, your will before give me, then you have satisfied both God's heart and your heart. But if you say give me before your will, you'll have neither satisfied God's heart, nor your heart. You see the order and why Jesus intentionally? Okay? So as we come to the third petition, your will be done, we see why this comes right after your kingdom come. Now, I'm not going to go and unpack the enormity that is your kingdom come, but what we've seen is this. If we understand that Christian life is about entering his kingdom and not just inviting Jesus into my heart, 
It's about entering a new kingdom with a new king. Then it goes without saying that as subjects of the king, our priorities, our values, and our goals become about one thing, and that is to fulfill as subjects of this king, what? His will, his priorities, his agenda. It is natural that after we say your kingdom come, that we say what? Well, obviously, then your will be done. Father, the wishes of the king, the agenda of the king, the will of the king is foremost in my mind. As I like to often remind us, God is not a genie in a bottle, and your wish is not his command. But as we grow in grace, his commands become our wish, our priorities, our agenda. Your will be done, I said last week, is the most spiritually significant aspect of prayer. Because the heart of our sin, please listen, the genesis of our broken relationship with God is pride. Pride, the antithesis to seeking God and to submitting to God's will. Satan's downfall, as we saw during the Unseen Battle series, and ours as well, is the desire to be God's ourselves and have our will contend with God's will. I went back to Isaiah 14, where it describes Satan's fall, and I was, I got chills down my back, because listen to what it says. Isaiah 14, 12. How you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. It's talking about Satan. You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. Watch this now. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15, so you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the sea. Jesus says what? For those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Five times Satan says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And Jesus comes along and he says, here's the order of things. Here's the path to freedom and to life. Not I will, but what? Your. See how critical this is? So last week again that Jesus embodied this and he lived this. I mean, you, you find this all over scripture, John 5, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He, only, uh, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. Listen, Jesus embodied this, okay? We don't choose what we do for God. I'll say that again. We don't choose what do we do. God invites us into the things that he is doing and says, here's your kingdom assignment, CC. Here's your kingdom assignment, Janet. Here's your kingdom assignment, Constance. Here's how you come around what it is that I'm doing. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Seeking God's will over his will was at the center of what Jesus was and what he did. His ability to say, not my will, but yours be done, when all of human history hung in the balance, was forged every day 
by going before his father and saying, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Seeking God's will over our will, church, lies at the center of spiritual life. All of life is about bringing our will into conformity with God's will. Nothing else is more important. Every single day a battle wages inside our hearts. Am I going to pray for my will or God's will? Will the prayer be an effort to convince God to grant my desires or for him to plant his desires in me? And when I ask for his guidance, am I going to listen? When he speaks, will I obey? I don't know who needs to hear this, but I need to share this. It's one thing to want to know God's will. It's another thing to want to do God's will will hello somebody it's one thing to come to god and say god i'd like to know what your will is you know for consideration for contemplation for evaluation and another thing entirely to come to god and say what father in heaven whatever your will is yes father in heaven whatever your will is i obey Here's something about God that I've noticed. God doesn't reveal his will, listen, for contemplation. He doesn't reveal his will for consideration. When God communicates, when he speaks, he desires obedience. Not delayed obedience. Delayed obedience, as someone said, is disobedience. When God speaks, he desires obedience. And here's the thing. God has an uncanny ability to know where you and I are. This is why we will go through seasons of brokenness. Because you cannot be filled unless you've been emptied of your pride, self-sufficiency, our need for control. God uses these seasons of desert. Does anybody know I'm talking about? The wilderness. So we can come to a place in our lives where we become so humble, so open that we say, Father, the answer is yes. I want your will, not mine. Have your way. See, I've met brand new Christians who hear God's voice so clearly, it's spooky. Do you know why? Because they've come to the place where they're literally saying, whatever you say, Father. Whatever you say. Somebody listening this morning is at a crossroads about a relationship, career, ministry, and you are lost, you're confused, you're so frustrated because you feel stuck. My question is, why are you doing everything but getting into the presence of God and saying, Father, what's your will for my life? Why are you doing, running around like a chicken cut off its head, doing everything possible, frantic and all over the place? And not just even five minutes a day getting into the presence of God and saying, Father, what's your will? I don't care what you say, God. The answer is yes. Then I guarantee you, God will speak. See, your want to is green light. Your want to, the will of God is more, more than anything else, is what, what God waits for. When you and I want to, do God's will more than completing your education, more than getting married, more than living in a place of our preference, getting this job over that. When you and I come to the place of God, I want to do your will more than anything else. God will speak. 
your will comes before give us to remind us that the purpose of prayer I'm going to say it one more time, is not that we would bend and adjust God's will to meet ours, but that we would what? Melt and that we would soften and we would adjust our will into God's. Prayer is the process which you put your heart, your will, like metal into fire, into the furnace of God's love and God's truth until it becomes soft and shaped into the same shape as God's will. So last week, as we talked about your will be done, we talked about what it is to pray your will be done. We said that to pray your will be done is daily recognition of the sovereignty of God. We said that to pray your will be done is daily recognition that our wills must be submitted to His. We talked about how to pray your will be done is daily recognition that God is all we need. So here's what I'm going to do today. I promised y'all this is a two-part one because I didn't get to say all the stuff that I wanted to say. So for today, here's what I want to do. Last week, what does it mean to pray? T today, I want to ask us why we should want to pray your will be done first. And then secondly, Having said that, why we don't pray, your will be done. And then third and most importantly, how we can be healed to pray that prayer. First, why we should want to pray, your will be done. Second, why we don't pray, your will be done. And third, how we can be healed to come to a place of wanting. So first, why we should want to pray, your will be done. Here's the disconnect I've observed over the years as a pastor. I will sit with somebody who is discerning God's will, right? And after listening to him for a while, I'll say this to him. I'll say, do you believe that God loves you? I've asked majority go, absolutely, absolutely. Then I follow up with this question. I say, then why are you afraid of God's will? Somebody. How is it that you and I could affirm God's love? And yet so be terribly afraid of his will at the same time. Does anybody, anybody relate? Why, why is it that we say stuff like, well, well, but what if God tells me to go someplace that I don't want to go? Somebody's saying that right now. Well, what if God tells me to do something that I don't want to do? Why do we think that following God's will may somehow bring deep wounding not just short-term wounds of radical obedience, but ultimate wounds in terms of life's final prize. What is that? You see, fear, listen, corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. Fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. And there is a place in all of us that fears, especially when life takes a turn for the worst, Maybe God doesn't have my best interest at heart. Maybe, maybe God isn't for, and I'm talking about people who believe and say they believe that God loves them. Maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he isn't for me. Do you struggle, child of God, seeing God as good this morning? Do you struggle seeing your heavenly father as the good, good father that he is? Here's the good news. This is where we're going for the rest of today. From Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures sing with joyful praise. He is good and his love endures forever. 
Our Father is good and his love endures forever. Over and over again, the scriptures resound with the truth that our God is good and his love endures forever. My question to you is, do you believe that? The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's one thing to know that God is good. It's another thing to taste it to experience it, to know it experientially. Do you believe that God is good? See, when you and I discover the goodness of God's will, that's who he is, we will find ourselves wanting to pray more and more, your will be done. Your will be done. We're going to do a word study this morning, okay? If you walk away going, well, somebody, what'd you learn today? Thelema, Thelema. That's what I learned today, Thelema. What are you talking about, Pastor Peter? The word will, in your will be done, that word in Greek is word Thelema, will. In its most basic form, it means what one wishes or has determined shall be done. Thelema. But here's what you need to know. Stop everything. Pay attention. Here's what you need to know. Thelema always conveys the fundamental note of goodness. Thelema always conveys the fundamental note of goodness. In other words, Thelema, will of God, has the sense of both purpose, what he desires, and pleasure, delight. Thelema echoes the words of God in Isaiah when God says in Isaiah 46.10, I declare the end from the beginning, the ancient times from what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and all my good pleasure I will accomplish. Thelema, the will of God has both purpose and pleasure. And this theme literally runs throughout the entire Bible. Almost every time you see the word will in the New Testament, it's thelema, God's purposes, God's will in all of his saving, redeeming, forgiving, judging, restoring, is to, church, show forth his goodness, his pleasure. That truth ought to set some of us free this morning. The will of God is not just purpose, but a good example. There's so many, but a great example of this found in the opening chapter of Ephesians, my favorite epistle in the New Testament. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, it's one long sentence. By the way, there's so many run-on sentences in Paul's letters, okay? Probably would have failed grammar. It's one long sentence, okay, celebrating... The intense goodness of God. Do you know that? You can't avoid, like, what, verses 3 to 14. And it starts with Ephesians 1, 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then in verses 4 to 14, he begins to identify and elaborate on the most essential of these blessings. And check this out. And he declares that those blessings are in accordance with the good pleasure of his will. Thelema. Thelema. 
Verse 5, Ephesians 1. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his, there's a word again, thelema or will. What's he saying, church? Paul is saying it was his will to choose you, to adopt you, to make you his very own. Paul is saying the blessing and the wonder of adoption is the Father's will, and he takes great pleasure in that. He takes delight in that. Is that good news? And then he goes on, verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, Thelema, according to his good plan. You can't read will and pleasure. Like, it's constantly together, good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, verse 11. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things in accordance with the purpose of his will. It was his will that you be an heir of the king. Is his will that someday you will rule and reign over all creation with Christ? The blessing and wonder of being an heir and ruling for all eternity is God's, hello, will. And the Father takes great delight in that and pleasure in that. I could keep going for the rest of like next two hours. God's will is both purpose and what? Delight and pleasure. Paul is gripped by the goodness of the God's will and he culminates this. Do you remember this? In one of his favorite verses, as he exhorts the Romans, disciples in Rome, Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And what is his will? His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Come on, somebody. The Father in heaven the Father Jesus knows that Jesus loves and trusts, listen, has a will that is perfect, that is good, and that is pleasing for you, for a church, for the world. Somebody says, well, but Pastor Peter, what about evil? How do you reconcile evil with the goodness of God's will? I'm glad you asked. Because the scripture on one end is clear that God does not delight in evil or injustice. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The scripture is clear that God is never the author of evil. Evil belongs to the evildoer. And someday, this is good news, God will judge all evil, bring about perfect justice, and make everything right. Let your kingdom come. But this is what's amazing about our God. What does Romans 8.28 say? We know that in all things, and all things includes evil, all things includes injustice, trials, tribulations, hardships, and suffering. What does that verse say? In all things, God works for the, there's a word again, good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The power of the cross in the life of the Christian is not exemption from evil, exemption from injustice or suffering and hardship. Hear me when I say this. The power of the cross is that we worship a God who is able to take evil, injustice, suffering, and hardship and minimize, without minimizing the evil, the injustice, and hardship, bring about good.
Bring about redemption. Bring about glory and the hallowing of his name. That is what God is able to do. It's the words of Joseph in Genesis 50:20. As for you, what you intended against me for evil. And let's be clear. Joseph is saying, what you did, that was evil. What you did, that was hurtful. What you did led to destruction. And yet, what does it say? God intended what? For good. In order to accomplish a day like this to preserve the lives of many people. Let me tell you something about God's will. Everybody listen up. Let me, let me tell you about God's will. There's nothing that can be done. Not your parents, not your boss, not your former fiance, girlfriend, boyfriend, not even living in a fallen world. There is nothing that can be done to thwart God's good purposes and his will in your life, child of God. Nothing. God's purposes and his will for your life to bring about good there's nothing that the enemy nothing that broken fallen world there's nothing that anybody can do to thwart god's will so when you put all this together when we pray your will your thelema be done here's what we're saying father in heaven let your good purposes let your good pleasure be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, in all that you do, in all that you will and purpose, may all creation come to see your goodness. Is this good news? Come on, somebody. Who in their right mind then would not want to pray your will be done on earth as it is heaven? And therein lies the problem. We are not ordinarily in our right mind. That's why we could affirm the love of God and yet be terribly afraid of his will at the same time. That's why we think that following God's will may somehow bring deep wounding, not just short-term wounds of radical obedience, but ultimate wounds in terms of life's final prize. So the second point, and it's much quicker, why we don't pray your will be done. Here's why. Let me illustrate this way. One of my favorite things to do when my kids were little was taking them to their favorite toy stores. Parker, my oldest, loved Legos. If you come to my house, it looks like a Lego store downstairs, okay? I mean, he's got Lego by Legos by Legos, okay? One of the biggest things that gave me delight was what? Going and saying, Parker, what do you, what do you want to buy today? And seeing him light up. But imagine, one day, I took him. He walked around the store with me. And I said, Parker, you see all this? You see all this, son? You could have none of it. His life, from that point on, would forever be what? Distorted. He will struggle to trust people. He'll see the world as a, a cold place. He'll see himself is not worthy of love. But do you know, child of God, that our lives are just as distorted? 
Because that's what happened in Genesis 3. Now, I need, you, I need you to, as much as possible, push against the, oh, I'm getting defensive. I need you to, I need you to go, okay, Lord, rigorous honesty. I need, you, I need you, rigorous honesty. See, in Genesis 3, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What they should have said was this. No, you big fat liar. No, you murderer. No! What God said is we could eat from any tree in the garden except one. Look around here. There's trees upon trees up in here. There's trees everywhere. And God said we could have all of it except one. And by the way, question, why doesn't God tell them why not to eat of the tree? Here's why. Because if God told them why, it wouldn't be trust. God's saying, I need you to trust me. I need you to obey me because you love me. Because if you know why, it's no longer trust. It's called bargaining. But what I want you to notice, the serpent doesn't go after the existence of God. Does God exist? Is not what Adam and Eve are struggling with, is it? He doesn't even go after the power of God. What does he go after? What is he after? What is he after? He goes after the goodness of God. He goes after God's character. God's goodness. Is anybody familiar with this voice? God doesn't want the best for you. Maybe for them, not, not for you. Well, look, look what you did. That's too bad. God could have had plans for you, but now you're on plan B. Anybody know that voice? How about this? God's not for you. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God doesn't love you. God is holding out on you. He's keeping something good from you. Why would you listen to him and miss out? That train's going to go. Don't get on that train. Why would you listen to his will and miss out? Who knows you better than you? Your will. It's the path to freedom. The lie of Satan that our first parents bought into was what? Obey God, and he'll crush you. Surrender, give your life over to him, and it'll be life over as you know it. When they believe that lie, God is not good. God isn't loving. God doesn't have my best interest at heart. God can't be trusted. It poisoned everything. And on this side of Eden, we're still struggling to believe that God's will is for our ultimate good. This side of Eden, come on somebody, let's just be honest. This side of Eden, we still struggle and wrestle with the temptation to think that God is somehow withholding from us his best and will make us settle for second best unless we make matters into our own hands. Do you see why? I said to you for three months, do you see why last fall? This is Satan's most often used strategy. What you and I are struggling with this morning 
is we're questioning God's intentions and God's heart. Even though we say, of course I know he loves me, and yet, can I trust him? Because if you don't trust God, this is just common sense, there is no way that you and I will pray your will be done. Do you struggle trusting God with all your heart, child of God? Do you struggle being radically obedient? Do you struggle completely giving yourself to him without reservation and utter and total surrender? At the fundamental root of it is you and I don't trust him. If you're having a hard time praying your will be done, the root of it is you don't trust him. Him, which then opens the door wide to temptation and sin. Listen, at the end of the day, the root of sin is simply, I don't trust God. So I'm going to opt for my will. My way, my time, my person, my choosing. And if you're like me, it's not just that I don't trust God. Anybody relate to this? I struggle trusting myself. Here's what I mean by that. You see, one of the reasons why we don't give ourselves wholly and utterly and completely is because we're afraid that we will fail God. We're afraid that we're going to let him down. We're afraid that we're going to wear out his patience, wear out his mercy, wear out his love. How do we get healed from that? So here's the third point. Jesus is our antidote. <laughs> Some of y'all that were attending the new community are like, well, yeah. No, don't just say, well, yeah. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Jesus is, what do I mean? Listen, parallelism in scripture is not an accident. What do I mean? Sin begins in a garden. Salvation, hello, somebody, comes in a garden. <laughs> Hello, somebody. In the garden of Eden, God says to the first Adam, what? Do you see the tree? Do you see the tree? Obey me about the tree. Don't eat of the tree and you will live and you will be rewarded. First Adam says what? Not your will, but my will. He doesn't obey. Centuries later, hello, somebody. Centuries later, we find ourselves again in a garden. This time, it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And God the Father comes to the second Adam, the perfect Adam, and says what? Obey me about the tree, but I'm going to nail you to it. Surrender, obey me fully, and the Father will turn his face away. And his prayer? Father, take this cup from me. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. Who did he do that for? For you. And for me. Jesus is our antidote. Jesus is antidote to the lie that says God is the enemy of your happiness. 
Jesus is the antidote to the lie that says to be happy and fulfilled, you're gonna have to take matters into your own hands. Can God be trusted? Look at the tree. Does God will good for me? Look at the tree. Does God have my best interest at heart? Look at the tree. Can God cause any good come from such evil? Look at the tree, child of God. Fix your eyes on the cross. Romans 8.32 If he who did not spare his son but gave himself or us all, how would he not also with him give us what? All things. If God would do this for you, how can you doubt him? If God would do this for you, how would you even think that he doesn't have your best interest at heart? He shed his blood for me. He will not withhold any good from me. You like trusting yourself? You're afraid of going all in because you might let him down. Wear out his patience, his love, his mercy. On the cross, hell itself unleashed its fury on Jesus. And Jesus could have stopped it. He could have stopped it. All he had to do was give up on you. And give up on me. Just walk away. But in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe. He stayed. And if God didn't abandon you and me to hell when hell itself was coming down on him, Jesus is never going to abandon you, child of God. He will never forsake you. Jesus is our adult. Look at the tree until your heart can say with joyful anticipation, not resentment or resistance, until your heart can say, Father, your will be done. Fulfill all your good pleasures. Accomplish all your good purposes. So let me leave you with the prayer. What does it look like to say your will be done? I want you to think about all the areas of your life, particularly the ones you have difficult time saying your will be done. Maybe some of you, it's your career, your marriage, your future, spouse, relationships, finances, ministry. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But here's what it means to say, Father, your will be done. You'll see up on the screen. It means to say, first and foremost, Father, I am willing to do everything you say in your word about this area, whether I agree with it or not. Your will be done. Father, secondly, I am willing to accept anything that happens in this area, whether I understand it or not. Your will be done. Is that hard to pray? It is the hardest thing ever. For some of you, if you're not able to say that, your prayer simply this morning might be, Father, I want to pray that prayer. Father, help me to want to pray that prayer. The length that it takes to pray that prayer, I said this last week, depends on whether we are, not with our Heavenly Father. Jesus recognized what God's will was and he struggled, but he said, I am not going to get up from my knees until my heart can say what? Not your not my will, but yours be done. 
What would it look like for you and me, child of God, to say, Father, I am not going to get up from my knees until I'm willing to do everything you say in your word about this, whether I agree or not. Father, I am willing to accept anything that happens in this area, whether I understand it or not. The length of our prayers isn't determined by the willingness of our God. He is more than willing. The length of our prayer should be determined by the condition of our hearts. Let me, let me end with this. Let me end with this. Last fall, last fall, I got word that someone in our church, a dear sister who I deeply love and care about, had a tumor, had a tumor. So I got a text from her husband and he said this, a couple days ago we learned that my wife has a tumor that's growing near her brain, pressing on her nerve cord. While we're so grateful to God that the growth is benign, it needs to be removed soon since it can cause permanent damage to her nerve system. Please pray for us that we will be able to find a surgeon who is experienced in doing this type of surgery, especially since the tumor is located in a very delicate and crowded area. We will keep you updated. The surgery was very tricky because it could lead to stroke or death. So I texted back to the sister and I said, I just heard the news. I am so sorry. My heart is deeply burdened for you and, and the rest of the family. I'm praying right now that God will either completely heal you or bring the right physician to perform the needed surgery. And as I was praying for you right now, the following verse came to mind. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 40, 10 praying for you, grace and peace. Then she texted back and she said, thank you, Pastor Peter, for whispering God's voice in my ear and my heart. I covet your prayers. And then she wrote James 5, 16. Then I wrote her back and I said, I believe in a wonderful God who heals us in our suffering or through our suffering. And this truth is my ultimate hope, praying. Then, and this is what I wanted to read. Here was her last text. I know that whether the outcome be good or bad, I will be in his hands. Your will be done. I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me. We won't pray long, but I want to give some space here this morning. And I want you to specifically listen to the Holy Spirit. And areas in which you know that you have not surrendered, submitted, you have not been able to say, your will be done here. Areas in which you struggle saying, God, Father, I will obey everything you say, whether I agree or not. I will accept everything you send, whether areas in which you are struggling, child of God, to pray that prayer right now. If you can't pray it, pray, Father, I want to pray this prayer. If you are able to pray those prayers over your marriage, over your career, over your future ministry, your finances, 
relationships. I'm going to give you this time right now to say your good pleasure be done. Accomplish your good purposes. our good, good Father. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Your will be done. Fulfill all your good pleasures. Accomplish all your good purposes, Father, in my life lives those around me on earth as it is in heaven. Father, forgive us for the times we've doubted you. Forgive us for not trusting you. Father, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to see your good, gracious, sovereign purposes in the world, in my life, and in my church family. Have your way. Have your way. Not my will, but yours be done. Father, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is no one like you. No one and nothing compares to you. You are my treasure, my hope my life, my peace, my joy. So God, be God in my life. Be God in my thinking, in my will. Be the one eternal, all-knowing Father who loves me more than I love myself. Your will is nothing but you in my life. So God, be God, God, be God in your precious name. Amen. Amen. As we end today's service, church, I pray this blessing over you, you are God's servants, gifted with dreams and visions. Upon you rests the grace of God like flames of fire. Love and serve the Lord this coming week in the strength of the Spirit. May the deep peace of Christ be with you. The strong arms of God sustain you and the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen you in every and all of God's people said,
Have a blessed week, church, and Lord willing, we'll see each other again. Take care. Thank you.